failures when I consider all the times I let God down. I am humbled by the grace He has extended. I'm amazed at the mercy I have found. I could never earn His love on my own. Yet every time I come before His throne, I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I Am. nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Even at my best I am unworthy. I have nothing precious I can give. Broken life is all I have to offer, and yet it is a priceless gift to Him. The bitter mark of sin will never fade away, but I can come before Him unashamed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hands that bought my liberty. I stand Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't resist. Okay, so anyway, we've been dealing with the Lord's Day, and of course that's our theme, the Lord's Day, and so we've kind of had a series addressing it, and again, the last few weeks we've been noting some alarming trends and recognizing that fewer and fewer Americans are finding their way into the house of God, and that's a concern that we have. Matter of fact, it's been really bad over the last 20 years as we noted that church attendance, whether it be now again, it's not necessarily a Baptist church, but just churches in general, synagogues, mosques across our country. As we look at religious attendance, it fell from 70% in 2000 to 47% in 2020. So we're seeing a massive departure from the house of God and therefore it's, there's obviously a lack of interest in the church today. We said there's less and less folks that are attending church than ever before in America, at least. There's an overall lackadaisical and nonchalant type of attitude toward church and faith. Well, 
These are all just symptoms. We said the, the greater problem is a departure from the mindset of the Lord's Day. It used to be a Sunday was a very special day, not just to believers, but really it seemed to the entire nation. Again, it wasn't that long ago that our society in general recognized Sunday and businesses weren't open and the sale of alcohol didn't take place. And we see that our culture, however, has become more and more secularized. And as a result of that, church is becoming less and less important and the Lord's Day seems to be waxing and waning into, well, nothingness. This year's theme, as we said, is the Lord's Day, and for good reason. We need a revival of the Lord's Day, or we're going to continue to see growing trends. Trends away from God, trends away from God's house, trends away from godliness in general. And we said last week in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 34, the Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Well, we need a nation that is indulging in righteousness, not immorality, a, a, a nation that is serious about living on behalf of Christ, not living on behalf of self. We need a nation that puts Christ and the Word and faith above the many things that it seems to be today. So the priority we place on God, His Word, and worship will determine the success of our nation. It's amazing to me as I read through books maybe back in the 18th century and I listen to preachers talk about the state of their day and how they find it and how it appears to them and they look at it and they say to themselves, man, we are in a real mess today. Things are going in the wrong direction. We're moving away from God, the Word, and truth. I can't even imagine what they'd say if they lived today compared to then and now. And yet they were sensitive to the Word. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And they recognized the fact that as a nation and as people, we were moving away from a Christ-centered life. Well, we've been dealing, as we said, with and addressing the Lord's Day. And today, I want to continue to do so by pointing out what the Lord's Day reminds the New Testament believer of. We've talked about a few of these, and a couple might be a little bit of review, but I want to note these things. As a New Testament believer, the Lord's Day reminds us of some things, and that's exactly what I want to note in these next couple of moments. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to gather today and to be a part of this service. Lord, the choir singing, and Lord, just the congregation lifting their voice in praise to you. Lord, we thank you so much for the fellowship that we can enjoy. Now it comes time for the Word of God to be proclaimed, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would drive home these truths, that, Father, our hearts would be truly made full today. May we, Father, leave here different for having come, and, Lord, may you use these truths to lay a foundation in our lives, to, to encourage us to stay consistent and faithful in the things of Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me and fill me with your Spirit. Lord, help me. Help me, please help me to stay in the spirit, not get in the flesh. And Lord, I just pray to your God that you just be with every listening ear and may we hear with spiritual ears. Now, Father, do what only you can today. We're trusting you. We're leaning on you and not our own understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So what do we learn? What does the Lord's Day remind us of? Well, it reminds us that we're following God's pattern of rest found in creation. We've talked about that already. But we went back to the book of Genesis and we noted how God created all things in six days. And he did create all things in six days. 
You know, I know that there's debate about that and people will discuss it and sign to come to different conclusions. Even amongst people of faith, they'll say, well, maybe that just as a day represents a time period and blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you, the morning and the evening were the first day. And I just believe from my Bible that I can't help but see one 24-hour day and six of those days he created. In six of those days he spoke. In six days, everything that we see and experience is a result of what he did. And then the Bible says he rested. He rested. Well, we know that God didn't need the rest. We know that God didn't get fatigued or tired in the midst of the creation. He simply spoke it, but not only that, he's all-powerful, so it's not like he needed to take a nap. So we learned a few things along the way, and we recognized that he just ceased from his work, and he rested because... It was complete. And it was very good in the eyes of God, according to the Word of God. And the Bible goes on to say that He blessed the seventh day and He sanctified it. He set it apart as His own. He set it apart as being holy from other days of the week. And so God made, or should I say established, if you will, a pattern. From the very creation on, there's been a pattern of work and rest. And so every time we gather on a Sunday, every time we gather on the Lord's Day, we're reminded that we're following God's pattern of rest found in creation. Number two, we're reminded of a day when we were in the world and away from God. Now again, we noted this one, but let's just take a moment because it's so important to remember every time we turn around, really, But there was a day in which we were enslaved by Satan. We were bound for hell. But God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who literally laid down His life, a sacrifice for sin. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, would you? Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. The book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he makes these statements... By the way, you don't have to be God speaking for it to be God's word. He spoke in and through these men that wrote the scriptures. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. These are God's words. These are His. This is His book. Notice Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Wherefore remember... That ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. It's saying, you know, you guys that are Gentiles that are called uh, the uncircumcised by the Jew who is circumcised. That's what he's saying. That at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Listen now, having no hope and without God in the world. Boy, there was a time when we were without hope and without God in the world. You say, but God existed. He did exist, and He's always been, but now He's my God. He's your God. I mean, there's a difference here. Now we have hope in Christ Jesus. 
See, God sent his only begotten son into the world. And again, he laid his life down as a sacrifice on behalf of our sin. And in Ephesians 2, 13, he goes on in that passage to say, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were born into sin. And if God were on that side of the platform in the form of a plant, that's not a very good illustration, but let's just make him that plant. And here I am in my sinfulness. I was a long way from God. But the Bible says that he brought us together through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That before it was over with, he and I, the God, the creator and all, we were together finally. Where I was nigh from God, a long way from God. Now I am close and in proximity and he is with me and I am with him. And that is exactly what transpires in every believer's life. You were far from God prior to knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't care how good you were or how kind you were or benevolent you may have been. The fact is, is that in our hearts we're sinners and we're separated from God for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all failed to measure up to God's perfect standard of perfection, which is none other than Jesus Christ himself. But boy, when he came and died and took our place and paid for our sin, our sin was washed away, it's gone forever, and it took that which was between us and removed it, and now we can come together, God and man. In John chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. Jesus is saying, nobody put me on that cross when it's all said and done. Oh, I know, I know that the Jew cried, crucify me. I know that the Roman put the nails in my hands and my feet. I know how that works, but let me tell you something. I gave in to it all. I let it happen. Nobody took my life. I laid it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Boy, did he ever when he rose the third day, Amen. This commandment have I received of my Father, he says. So every time we gather on the Lord's Day, we're reminded that we're following God's pattern of rest found in creation. We're reminded of a day when we were in the world and away from God. Not only that, number three, we're reminded that we're a new creation. A new creation? Take your Bible, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, please. You know, as we think about the Sabbath day, we think about the Jew and the Sabbath that they were required to keep. That Sabbath day always did. It looked back at the creation, didn't it? And to some degree, when we we gather together, we do the same. We remember the pattern that God set. But they look back at the creation, and guess what? When we meet together as New Testament believers... Man, listen, we're looking even beyond the creation of matter and the universe and the world we now enjoy. We are looking at the Lord's Day, reminding us of a new creation in Christ Jesus. And here it is, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, a lot of people say, well, that word should be creation. Well, I think, I think the, the uh, uh, writers did an okay job. Creature's Okay. Because it sounds to me like they mean pretty much the same in a sense, don't they? And listen, I'm a new creature. I'm not just a creation. I'm a person. I'm a thing. Man, I tell you, I'm all new now, though. I'm not what I used to be, amen? You're not either if you know Christ as your Savior. The eighth day or the first day of the week is a day of new creation. We gather today because we recognize that we were made new 
in Christ Jesus. And we're to be reminded of that supernatural and transformational work of Christ in our lives every Lord's Day. We get together and we're reminded of the new birth. We're reminded of that new nature and that new Jerusalem and that new man that now rules on the throne of our new lives. All things are become new in our lives. And what follows that new creation? A rest. A rest. And that brings us to number four. You say, there's only five of them? We're getting there. We're, yeah, four's about three pages long. <laughs> Not quite. But anyway, we're reminded, number four, that ours is a perfect rest in the person of Christ. Amen. It's a perfect rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Boy, you know, today we do rest. Not on a special day, but in a person. When it's all said and done, it's not just one day a week Christianity. It's every day, all day, all the time, because we're in Christ Jesus. And we have a perfect rest in a perfect person. Ours is not a ritual rest, but a real rest. We rest where God rests, and that's in Christ and His finished work. And the New Testament saint, you and I today, are blessed to know that our salvation is secure. It's secure in the finished work of Christ. We don't have to be concerned and we don't have to be worried. We can truly experience real rest today because you and I have ceased. We've stopped from our own work and rest to resting in Christ and His finished work. Turn to Romans 4, 5. Man, we used to have to work at trying to find rest, but honestly, our rest is found in Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary. <clears throat> there's only really two religions in the world. You say, that's crazy. I know there's a bunch more. No, there's really only two. At least the foundation for them is two. There's two. Either one, you believe that you have to do something to earn your way to heaven. You have to be good enough. You have to... To, to put forth some kind of effort. There's something that needs done. We would call that a work salvation or something you're working to try to earn the favor of God, working to try to earn a place in heaven. I got to read my Bible or I have to pray or I got to go to church or I have to go to confession or I have to uh, go out soul winning or I've got to sing in a choir. I've got to do, 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 do in order so that I can ultimately arrive safely. The only other religion there is in the world. And by the way, it doesn't have to even be Christian faith. You look at faiths across the world, they're rooted in doing. That's how they get to their, whether it's nirvana, that's where they get to whether it's heaven or whatever they want to call it. It's usually rooted in work. Hold on, the only other faith in the world then is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ where we simply rest in what he already did and not what we do. That's the only two religions there are. Either you are trusting completely and totally in a person, Jesus Christ, or you are trusting basically in your ability to work your way into the presence of a God that created you. Those are the only two religions. You can call them whatever you want, but that's the real difference. Romans 4, 5, notice what it says. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That word justified means just as if you never sinned. 
His faith is counted for righteousness. Now notice the first phrase, but to him that worketh not. What is saying? What's the problem? Over here, everybody's doing a lot of work to be justified, just as if they never sinned, so that they're acceptable in the sight of a holy God. I'm working. Can I tell you, as long as you're working, you're not resting? But this, this guy or gal here, notice again what he says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. This, this fellow, this lady's not working, simply resting in Jesus Christ and his finished work. You know what? You died for me. You were buried. You rose again. You washed my sin away if I'll receive and accept you according to the word of God. I don't have to work anymore. I can rest in you. That's exactly what's taking place here. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We enter into this rest when we cease from our own works, when we begin to trust Jesus Christ and his finished work for us on the cross. That's when we experience true rest. He becomes our Sabbath, if you will. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. Turn there, would you? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. We'll eventually note verse 11, but you'll stay right here for a little bit. But notice it says in Hebrews 4, 9 and 10, it says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath seized from his own works, as God did from his. That's pretty That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So what he's saying is we enter into this rest by ceasing from our own effort or work, and instead we're relying wholly and completely upon Christ and his work, his finished work. Again, it's being stated here in the book of Hebrews. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Remember the Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you work. No, he'll give us rest. He'll give us rest. Man, that's wonderful. Now, it's important to note this, though, and and I think it's important to realize that just because we have this rest doesn't mean we don't have the privilege and opportunity to do now on behalf of the Lord. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment, but we experience a true rest now. We are free from the burden of our sin. We can rest it all on Christ along with every other heartache and every other burden that we face in life, can all be rested on Him, can all be laid upon Him. But that rest that we have, that we possess, is a rest that needs appropriated in our life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out in the next verse, Hebrews 4.11. Notice what he says here. He says, he goes on to say, There remaineth therefore a rest unto the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now this almost sounds like he's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He says, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So on one hand he's saying we're in this rest, but it seems like he's saying on the other hand, but you got to work to get in the rest. But that's not really what he's getting at. What God has given us, we have to apply in our lives. And you know what? For you and I, that can be a a severe challenge. It can almost be work for us to remember that God must always be our place of rest. 
We are prone to work in order to gain his favor still. We fail to recognize that he bears all of our burdens. And can I tell you, that's, that's, that you have to work at that in your life. You're going to find yourself always wanting to go back here and thinking, well, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, therefore, how could God love me? And he's saying, don't you dare do that. You work hard not to get back. Don't you allow yourself to fall back into those old habits and that old way of thinking. Don't do it at all. I read about a missionary in Africa who offered a ride to, uh, with, to a fellow that had a, a big backpack on, or a, a, and, and he was one of the nationals there that he was trying to reach with the gospel, and he was just walking along, and you could tell he was struggling with the weight of that pack, and it was just a heavy load. And the man, of course, when asked, he gladly accepted the ride, and, and just a few miles into that ride, the missionary looked in his rearview mirror. And, and I mean, he had his pickup truck. The guy jumps right on. He thinks that's cool. He gets in there, drives on down the road, <clears throat> down there just a couple of miles. He's like, what? whoa, shocks him. He can't believe what he's seen. Here's this guy. He's standing straight and tall, kind of bracing himself. And he's still got his pack on his back. And the missionary's like, what is going on? He stops the truck. And he gets out and he, he goes over to the man and he says, hey, listen. He goes, what's going on? What, what's the problem? Well, I didn't know the truck could carry both me and my load. He'd probably never seen anything like that. That's, it's just, he was ignorant. He didn't know any better. He'd never been in a truck probably in his entire life. And he, but here he was standing strong and firm in the back of that truck. But he was carrying the weight because he didn't know that the truck could bear the weight, the load. I want you to think about that for a minute. Let that sink in for just a moment. Resting in the finished work of Christ for salvation doesn't mean that we forsake all activity, nor does it mean that we do nothing about being saved once we've been saved. But we can always know that we're secure and we don't have to carry the weight of our burden anymore. But it doesn't mean we do nothing it doesn't mean we just sit on our laurels and relax and take it easy, that we don't in any way do anything. I mean, a man was swept out to sea by a homemade raft that he made. And on board, he, he struggled to get back to shore. I mean, he was working hard, trying to row as hard as he could, but couldn't get anywhere. He frantically paddled, paddled against those waves, but they just kept pushing him further and further out. And he started getting concerned about even living at that point, thinking, I might just end up dying at sea. There's no way I'm ever going to get back to shore at this rate. He looks up from his labors and he sees a ship coming up alongside him. The crew throws a line down and invites him on board. <laughs> at once he's like, all right, he abandons that old little raft and, and he abandons his own efforts to save himself and he accepts the salvation that's offered to him. He's saved. He places the, uh, the deck of that great ship. with. Uh, he, he starts pacing back and forth on that ship. I mean, that's a big old ship, solid planks underneath his feet, massive engines driving the vessel the direction that it means to go. He is standing. His standing is secure now. But then the captain comes to him and says, I wanted to welcome you aboard, friend. And after some conversation, he finally says to the man, he says, hey, uh, listen, we'd like your help. We're a little shorthanded and the cook could use you in the galley. Would you be willing to help us? 
Now that has to do with a state, not a standing, but a state now. And you know what? His salvation is secure. He's not going to go back on that little raft. Nobody's going to say, let's find that raft, throw him back on it if he doesn't want to work in the galley. That's not how it is. He's safe. He's, he's secure. It's good to go. But his gratitude is such that he's only too willing to get to the necessary work that needs done. Sure, I'll help. <laughs> Are you kidding me? After what you guys did, you saved my life. I'm definitely, I'm more than happy to. See, helping out on board had nothing to do with his salvation. He can rest in his salvation even though a hundred tasks call for his attention now that he's saved and on board. And that's true in your life and mine. We are rooted and we are grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are at complete rest. But as those demands on our time and life come into our lives as even the ministry begins to raise its head and we recognize and realize that there's a need in the local church to reach the world with the gospel and it demands effort we don't have to be concerned about losing our rest we are secure and safe in our salvation and now we're able to cast that burden even of service onto the lord jesus christ it is not just simply a labor but a labor of love And that's what he means when he says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. What a wonderful opportunity it is. We are resting in Christ and his finished work. And everything that comes into our life, we can continue to allow him to carry the burden of it. We are in a perpetual rest, but we are in an active rest. Our standing is secure, and our state is... A state is action, rooted in gratitude, not necessity. I don't have to revisit this and try to earn my way into God's favor. That's settled. The things I do now, I do out of a heart of love and gratitude. And honestly, there's a big difference. It's different. It's not like labor when you love who and what you're serving. Finally, as we said already, we are reminded that we're following God's pattern of rest found in creation. We're reminded of a day when we were in the world and away from God. We're reminded that we were a new creation. We're reminded that ours is a perfect rest in the person of Jesus Christ. And finally, we're reminded that there will be no other day but the Lord's day someday. There'll be no other day but the Lord's day someday. See, someday there'll be no more weeks. There'll be no more days or nights or months or years in the sense that we understand it. The sun and the moon will not even be needed. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Again, there'll be no more weeks or months. There'll be no more nights or years. Revelation 21, 23 says, and the city. When it talks about the city there, if you go back and look at chapter 21, 
you'll recognize and realize it's talking about New Jerusalem. By the way, that's where you and I as believers in Christ Jesus, those in the body of Christ will reside. That you will occupy His place in Jerusalem and in the world, in the earth. You and I will be in New Jerusalem. The kings will go from the earth to the New Jerusalem. It will be an amazing thing. And the city, New Jerusalem, if you will, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Look at verse 5 of chapter 22. Notice what the Bible says. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> no night there. You know what he's saying, basically? There's going to be a perpetual day. Amen. The Lord's day will be forever. That's going to be great, isn't it? No more night, only day, his day. I mean, it's going to be like we're gathering together on Sundays every day. They say, man, I can't tell you what, I get sick of going to church. You better get used to it. <laughs> and those people drive me crazy. Uh, get used to them. Now, they won't have that old flesh dragging around either, and so we'll all be better off. But the fact is, is that, man, it's going to be a wonderful time in heaven. Yo, we'll have tasks and duties and things to do, I'm sure, but... There'll be no night there. It'll be one perpetual day and Christ is the, light, the Lamb and the light. What a wonderful thing. A perpetual Lord's Day. I wrote in my notes, what bliss. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Forever singing the songs of Zion, continually praising the Godhead, forever fellowshipping with the saints. What a wonderful thing. It's going to be great. So, we're reminded of some things. Boy, the Lord's Day is so important. I want to encourage you to make it special in your life. To remember why it is so special to the believer. I mean, not only does it allow us to follow his pattern, but it reminds us of where we used to be. We're to be reminded of where we were and now where we are. We're new creatures in Christ. A new day has dawned in our lives, if you will. And we are in a, a rest, resting in Christ, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And it reminds us of a day when we'll not have to do anything but simply rest in Him and enjoy a perpetual Lord's Day in eternity. Man, so many wonderful things. God help us to not lose sight of the Lord's day in our life, our family, our nation. We need to recognize Him and to serve Him and to worship Him. We said that day encourages us to retreat from the daily cares of life. That's a rest. That it refocuses us on the Lord. That's reverence. That it's a time to return to the altar. That's rededication. And we finally said it reminds ourselves of what is truly important. That's realignment.
every Sunday we gather and step away from the busyness of the week to rest and then to reverence our God, to worship and honor Him, to rededicate ourselves back to Him in His service and to realign our lives with God and His Word. What a wonderful thing. I wonder today, if your life ended today, if you took your final breath today, would you be in heaven? Could you say without a doubt, I know for sure, I would be in heaven if I die today? You say, I, I don't know that I could say that and mean it. Can I tell you, that's a horrible place to be, I know. We've all been there. And there's no real rest because we're always concerned about where we'll spend our eternity. That's a, that, that weighs on you. But can I tell you, you can be relieved of that burden if you will simply put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus who came to this earth 2,000 years ago. Sacrificed himself on a cruel cross shed his perfect, precious blood on your behalf, and then not only died for you, but rose again proving that he has the power to forgive and save you and to give to you everlasting life, even the kind of life that he has. Won't you trust him? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as I conclude, let me just remind you of a passage that we read earlier in Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You can put your faith in Jesus today and stop working and simply rest in Him and His finished work and you can be justified. You can be righteous in the sight of a holy God. Won't you come to Him today if you haven't already? And if you're a child of God, recommit yourself to the Lord's day. Not just to show up in church but to be reminded continually throughout that day of all he means to you and all he's done for you and express your gratitude throughout it. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, we need you. Lord, there might be believers in our crowd that have maybe strayed away from you and have gotten off track and maybe they need to rededicate their life to you again by asking for forgiveness and asking you to to just be with them as they seek to once again realign themselves with you and your word. As they rededicate their life to you and say, I just want to please you, Lord, with my life. I'm just going to give myself back to you again. Maybe there's believers that need to make that decision today. And then, Lord, there might be those that are without Jesus Christ. Oh, they believe that he came, what died, was buried, but they've never personally accepted him as their Lord and Savior May you, Father, speak to them today. May you draw them and woo them to you. May their conviction in their life be strong in recognizing that they're sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus. And may they, Father, take the word of God and apply it to their life, even this morning, and settle their soul salvation. 
May you help them to say, I need to be saved. I need Jesus Christ in my life. And Lord, we'll help them find him today through the word of God. Simple truths that you've given us. And it's not complicated. You know it, Lord. You've made it simple so that every one of us can do, can come to know you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.